So Jesus, pray that you would please help us to know how to apply those words. Pray that as we turn to scripture, we would hear your voice speaking to us. Lord, each person needs to hear a different thing. Ask me these next few minutes, we all hear the thing you want us to hear. In your name, amen. Well, welcome those of you watching online. It's great to have you with us, as well as all of you here. The author, Kathleen Norris, tells a story about a man who got a, a Bible as a present from his grandfather. It wasn't just a normal Bible. It was one of those big leather-bound deals, you know, the kind you have installed in your living room. Except in his case, he put it in the closet. And every time he saw him, his grandfather would say, well, how'd you like that Bible I gave you? Have you read it? And the guy would go, oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, 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 it's wonderful. And his grandfather would go, oh, really? Huh. Finally, the guy decided to open the Bible up and discovered that his grandfather had put a $20 bill at the beginning of each book of the Bible, $1,300 in all. So we've been talking about how God revives things all this fall. I bet that perked him up a little bit, don't you think? That is sort of the point of this scripture, of this sermon today, sort of. Not that you're going to get $1,300, but that there is great power in scripture in fact, Scripture is the pipeline through which God's reviving power flows. We've asked this question every week. What is it that you want revived? What is it that you think God wants to revive in your life? Is it a marriage? Is it a, a financial deal? Is it a career thing? Is it a relational problem? Maybe you're just bored and you want more out of life. Whatever it is, Scripture is the pipeline through which God's reviving power is going to flow into your life. Now, it's possible that I've already just lost some of you. Some of you, it's possible that some of you might be thinking, oh man, I didn't come to church to hear about the Bible. You know, I, I was hoping for something relevant to my life, something kind of practical. Here's the thing. Without Scripture, no revival is possible. Without Scripture, no Scripture, no revival. Whatever that thing is that you want revived in your life, Scripture is the pipeline through which the power will flow. Because scripture empowers us to do three things that lead to revival, and I'm going to talk about those three things in a minute. Even when things seem hopeless. And that's the situation in the story we read today about King Josiah. It is a hopeless time in Israel's history. They'd, been, they'd had a long spiritual decline. They'd completely abandoned God. And the Babylonian Empire was threatening them. But then they start to do some work on the temple and they discover a scroll, probably the book of Deuteronomy, that, they had, that had been lost for decades. That's how far from God they were. They'd lost the Bible, right? And they read it and that sparks the greatest revival that Israel has seen in a thousand years through, 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 this, through the word of God. In other words, the Bible has power to create revival. Now, I know that the Bible can seem kind of foreign, kind of difficult, kind of off-putting for some folks, and there's some good reasons for that. I mean, the Bible not only seems boring, parts of it really are boring. Like the whole last part of the book of Exodus where Moses describes how to build the temple, the tabernacle in excruciating detail, right down literally to how many loops to put in the curtains. And as the writer Frederick Buechner says, it's so boring even Moses must have nodded off as he was writing it. And it can seem, the Bible can seem, all those names and places, they seem so foreign, it can seem so difficult for us. And yet, and yet, the Bible is the most life-giving book there is because it's not just a book. It is God's word spoken directly to you. It is personal to you. When it was being put together, God had you in mind. And it is the most life-giving book and, frankly, the most exciting book. Most of it actually isn't boring. 
Most of it is actually very exciting. For instance, the story of the evil king Eglon, who was so fat that when another man stabbed him with his sword, the Bible says, quote, even the handle sank in after the blade and the fat closed in over it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right? Like you may read that and go, what is that doing? Why is that in the Bible? Here's why. Because God cares about nine-year-old boys and he wants them to read the Bible too, right? And that's like the perfect nine-year-old boy story. Some folks say, well, you know, the Bible's difficult because it can be interpreted lots of different ways. And yeah, some passages can be interpreted differently, but you know what? On the main things, like sexual ethics, marriage, money, how to connect with God, it is clear and consistent. As I've told you before, Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts I do. So let's just work on that, okay? Or sometimes you'll hear people say things like, oh, you know, the Bible is an outdated book. I mean, after all, it supports things like slavery. No, it doesn't. That one irritates me. So let me just take that as kind of an example because you hear that a lot. It doesn't do that. The Bible acknowledges that slavery exists, although slavery back then was not nearly as harsh as it was in America. But it never says that it's good. In fact, the Old Testament severely limits a master's power over a slave. It says don't mistreat them and, and set them free after six years. And then by the time you get to the New Testament book of Philemon, it says that because of Jesus, there shouldn't be any slavery at all. See, if we read Scripture as a whole and not just some isolated verse, a lot of the alleged problems go away. But more important than that, more important than that, the Bible says about itself that it is God-breathed. That is, God breathes, it's through, the, and it's through Scripture that God can breathe new life into us. The, 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 um, the word revive means to put life back into, to put new life into. And Scripture, through Scripture, God can put new life back into us because Scripture enables us to do three things that, that need to happen for us to be revived. Three things. And the first is this. Scripture empowers us to break free from our culture. And this is the most important one because our culture lies to us a lot and leads us to do things that do not revive us. In fact, they wreck us. And you can see that going on in Israel's culture in the reforms that Josiah enacts. After he hears the scripture read, he realizes, whoa, we are out of line with what God wants us to be doing. So he starts to do a bunch of reforms. He says he took the Asherah pole, that's an idol, from the temple and burned it. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people which was a way of humiliating the false gods. The king also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes uh, that were in the temple of the Lord. He desecrated Topheth so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire of Molech. And you can see in those verses how far their culture had drifted from the way God intended us to live. I mean, having sex in the temple as part of their idol worship, sacrificing their children to their false gods, right? It was a culture of death. But here's the thing. Do you think anyone back then went around saying, hey, we belong to a culture of death. We have a culture of death. Of course not. Of course not. The culture told them all of those things were good things. Now, we don't worship statues, but our culture tells us all kinds of things are good, and some of them are good, but sometimes our culture lies to us. For instance, it says that happiness is found when we get everything that we want. That leads to really miserable marriages as each person tries to get what they want out of the other person, rather than doing what Scripture says, which is to love each other the way Christ loves the church, and do that very practically. And if we both do that, if both partners do that, what do you know? Everybody's needs get met. Our culture idolizes physical appearance, which leaves a lot of folks, especially our youth, feeling like they can never be good-looking enough to be accepted. 
Our culture says that material acquisition makes us happy, which makes for a lot of stressed out folks because they've spent to the margins. Whereas the Bible says, give 10% or more away and you'll discover that you can be happy with less than you thought you needed and break free from the pressure to always have more. And this is where scripture is so important because it critiques our culture. It holds a mirror to our culture and it gives us a different way to live than our culture tells us to live. And if we follow scripture rather than our culture, we will be revived. So the question I want to ask you is, where is it that you are conforming most to the culture these days? I didn't ask if you were, because we all are. Where is it that you are most conforming to the culture these days? Scripture can give you a different way, a better way to live. I heard a woman tell a story about how she likes to go to garage sales, buy things, and then resell them on eBay for a profit. That's kind of her business. Well, one day she found a saxophone for $20, and she didn't know what the going rate was for a used saxophone, so she called her husband, asked him to look it up on eBay. Well, he did that, but he couldn't find any saxophones listed. She thought that was kind of odd, but whatever. So she bought the saxophone for 20 bucks. As she was leaving, an older man came up to her and said, I'd like that. I'll give you $20 more than what you paid for it, if you'll give it to me. Well, she didn't know the going rate, so $20 profit, that seemed good. Sold it to him for 20 bucks. Well, when she got home, she discovered that her husband actually had not logged onto eBay's homepage, but onto her seller's page. So, of course, there was no saxophone listed, right? So when she looked it up, she saw that saxophones actually sell for $500. And she's thinking, I just lost out on $480 worth of profit as her husband crept out of the room, right? And this just bugged her for days. And she knew it shouldn't, but it just just bugged her. So one day, she turned to her concordance in her Bible. She found 10 verses on praising God. And she wrote them on notebooks. And every time she thought about the saxophone, she would look at one of those note cards and one of those verses from the Bible. Things like, give thanks at all times, or be anxious for nothing, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. She said over the next few weeks, she felt a lot closer to God, and the regret and the envy just kind of disappeared. She said, I even let my husband out of the doghouse. Well, a few months later, a couple months later, she ran into the man that she'd sold the saxophone to. And he said, oh, I'm so glad to see you because I I just want to tell you, I'm so glad you gave me that saxophone because it rekindled my joy of playing. Plus, I'm retired and I was getting kind of bored, but now I teach kids how to play the saxophone and I'm having so much fun. But the thing is, I never could have afforded even a used saxophone, but you gave it away for so cheap. So thank you. You, you, It's brought a lot of joy in my life. And this woman said, I realized that here I'd been thinking that I missed out on a blessing when actually it was the blessing was to be able to give that saxophone to this man and bring joy to his life. But she said, I never would have noticed that. I never would have been prepared for that without those scripture verses giving me a different worldview. Scripture helped her break free from our culture that says, always got to have more, and instead experience the joy that God can give. It revived her. Second way that scripture revives us is it connects our heart to Jesus can make us passionate about Jesus. You know, King Josiah in this story is very, very passionate. You know, when he hears God's word read, he tears his clothes. And then he doesn't just remove the idols. The text says he grinds them to powder and sprinkles them on the graves. That's kind of intense, right? Chill out, Josiah. Grinding these idols down to powder, you just kind of see the king doing that. Well, the point here is that revival doesn't happen moderately. It happens when we become passionate about Jesus. 
And, and that comes when our hearts are connected to Jesus, and Scripture can connect our heart to Jesus. In this story, it says that Josiah renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. And covenant is not a legal word. It is a relational word. Covenant is about the promises God makes to us and we make to God and how God keeps his promises even if we don't. It's a relational word. And scripture can connect us relationally to God if we read it that way, right? If we read it relationally, not just as a rule book or as a book of information or something like that. It's sort of like an old story about a businessman who wasn't very successful, so he asked a successful friend of his, what's your secret? Friend said, easy. One day I opened the Bible and I put my finger down and it landed on the word oil, so I invested in oil and I made a fortune. Since that worked out so well, I did it again and my finger landed on the word gold, so I invested in gold and I made a fortune. So the man got really excited and he went home and he opened his Bible and he just put his finger down randomly and his finger landed on the words chapter 11. Think about it. Think about it. Chapter banker. Okay, okay. It didn't work in the other service either. Well, I think it's brilliant. Anyway, do not read the Bible that way as just this information book. You've got to read it relationally as though God were talking directly to you because he is. And sometimes when I read scripture, I experience it. Not always, not always, but sometimes. For instance, when I'm stressed out and I hear a verse like Jesus saying, come unto me, all ye who are labor, labor and are heavy laden. You know, that means you, Dudley. You're heavy laden. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Or Romans 8, nothing can separate Dudley from the love of God. It's there in the Greek if you look it up, right? This, this is God's word spoken personally to you. I remember the Sunday after 9-11, the first Sunday after 9-11 in my former church, the senior pastor wisely decided not to give a sermon that day. And instead, we just read scripture, made a few comments, sang, read scripture again. It was just mostly scripture. And it was so powerful because through it, you could hear God's word speaking at a time of need, and it connected everyone's heart to Jesus, and we felt revived. Scripture revives us because it empowers us to break free of the culture, connect our hearts to Jesus, and last, Scripture empowers us to recognize God's revival, even when it doesn't look the way we think it should, or when it takes longer than we think it should. You know, Josiah's story does not have a Hollywood ending. If you keep reading in 2 Kings, he ends up just a few verses after this story, he ends up dying in battle because of some foolish decisions he made. And then immediately the Israelites slide back into idolatry. All of his reforms are lost. And then 22 years later, the Babylonians conquered them and took a bunch of Jews into exile in Babylon for 70 years. Doesn't sound like revival, does it? Not to us. But scripture allows us to see a bigger picture. And see that God's revival often looks different than we think it should look, but it's still revival. And you can see that in Josiah's story. I mean, Josiah did get to see revival in his lifetime. But more than that, Scripture shows us that the exile, that 70-year exile in Babylon, was not the end of the story. Because God used the exile to strengthen their faith. And when they returned 70 years later, never again did they worship idols. Never again. And having recovered the Bible, they never again lost it. And scripture shows us a bigger picture that over the long haul, in the long arc of our lives and of history, God is faithful and God never gives up and God always revives, even if it looks different than we think it should. So how do you know that God isn't already reviving that thing in your life that you want revived? Marriage or family issue or relationship, how do you know he's not already doing it? It just looks different than you think it should. 
A woman in this church tells a story about how when she was younger, her father had Parkinson's disease, and he eventually committed suicide, which was very painful for her. And so she did what she'd never done before, what I just said not to do. She opened her Bible randomly and just let her hand fall on the page. And it landed on the story that Jesus tells about the wheat and the weeds and how they grow together, but eventually the weeds are taken up and burned in the fire. She read that and she thought, well, that's not very helpful. 25 years later, 25 years later, she was sitting in church and the pastor was talking about that passage and he said, you know, the weeds are the things sown into our lives by the devil, the bad things in our lives. And they don't always get sorted out in this lifetime, but eventually they get burned up when we are gathered up to God. And she said, I finally understood. It wasn't my dad thrown into the fire, but it was what the devil had sown in his life that was thrown in the fire. My dad was with Jesus, and his life of joy and vitality had been restored, and she felt comforted and felt like God had talked to her in that moment through Scripture. And then she had the thought, well, you certainly took your sweet time with that one, didn't you, Lord? And 25 years. It looked different than she expected. It took longer, but through Scripture, she experienced God's reviving power because scripture has power and we can stand on it. Long time ago, my wife and I were in Toronto and we were up at the top of the CN Tower. And if you've been there, you know that there's this big portion of the floor that is made of glass, the floor. And so you stand there and you look at the floor through the glass all the way down hundreds of feet to the pavement below. It's very freaky. Well, I was standing there and these three kids came along and started jumping up and down on the glass. Right? So I stepped back, and one of the boys said, come on, mister, jump with us. It won't break. See how thick it is? And I'm thinking, uh-uh, I don't care how thick that is. I know it was installed by the contractor with the lowest bid. <laughs> no way, okay? Here's the thing. The Bible was not written by the contractor with the lowest bid. It is God-breathed. It has power to revive us, and it is a firm foundation that we can stand on. So I give you this assignment every year about this time. Read scripture. If you haven't done it, between now and Christmas, read all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you have done it, read another portion. Maybe Acts in the book of Romans or something like that. And in the bulletin, I've recommended some resources that can help you. You, you can also participate online with Bible Plain and Simple or come. You can visit our library online or in person for other resources. And when you read the Bible, let me just kind of talk a little bit about how to do it. Don't read for information Read for transformation. Back in the Renaissance, a man named the Prince of Granada, he got thrown into prison, and all they gave him was a Bible to read, and he was in there for life. And he, when he died, they found that he'd made all kinds of notes about the Bible. But there were kind of strange notes, things like Psalm 97.8 is the middle verse of the Bible. Does that mean he counted all the verses? I mean, I guess if you're in prison for life. Ezra 7.21 has all the letters of the alphabet except the letter J. There is no word in the Bible of more than six syllables. It was just this list of stuff. You're like, what? You have all this time to read the Bible and all you come up with is just this trivia stuff? That's because he was reading for information, not transformation. But information doesn't transform anything or anyone. I shared with Men's Fraternity a few weeks ago that, as you know, my wife was on Jeopardy uh, a while back, and she studied for the show, and as she did, she learned all kinds of amazing, helpful pieces of information. Things like, for instance, did you know that cows can't roll their eyes? Makes you wonder what teenage cows do when they're mad at their parents, right? <laughs> How frustrating if you're a teenage cow, right? There's no word in the English language that rhymes with month. Just try. Nope, doesn't exist. It is physically impossible for you to lick your elbow. 
Another known fact, before today is over, many of you who just heard me say that will try to lick your elbow. Some of you may be doing that right now, way back in the back that I can't see. That's information. It doesn't change anything. So read scripture for transformation. Read it in little bits, maybe 10, 15 minutes a day. How about this as a goal? Between now and Christmas, read scripture 10 minutes a day, at least five days a week. And then as you read it, ask two questions that will help you understand any passage. What does this passage say about God? What does this passage say about me? You read that, even the begets will start to mean something. The begets, what does it say about God? That he knows every single person by name. He knows them personally. What does the begets say about me? I am important. I am important in God's plan. He knows me by name. Read and then ask those questions and then pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to life for you because ultimately it's a supernatural thing that happens. I recently read a testimony from a man in California who said, I found myself in the Sacramento County Jail a three-time loser. I was 66 years old, and I decided that after three stints in jail, my life wasn't worth living any longer. But one day, I, I passed by a trash bin, and I saw a Christian tract lying on top. It had all kinds of Bible verses in it, and it was attached to a sermon. And as I read the first few pages of the tract, I decided that though I'd never thought I needed saved from anything, I figured I did, and that I'd better clean up my life so that God would accept me. But as I kept re reading, I realized there was nothing that I actually could do, no matter how hard I tried, in order to be fit to be saved. But I was intrigued by the promise that Jesus' death took care of my sins. So then I put the tract aside and I turned to the sermon, and I started to read the sermon instead, but then I ended up just falling asleep. Okay, that's just hurtful. There's, there's just no need for that, all right? But then I woke up in the middle of the night with those Bible verses on my mind, and I sensed a presence in the cell with me, and suddenly I just broke into tears. And sitting there on my bed, I opened my heart to Jesus, and I asked him to come in and deliver me and save me. At first, I didn't feel a thing. Nothing seemed different, except that I slept all night long for the first time in years. But in the morning, everything seemed different. The cell looked different. The prisoners around me looked different. The food I'd been complaining about tasted good. That was a miracle. One of the other prisoners said to me, Pop, what's up with you? You look so different. Something's different. Well, that was a couple of years ago. Now, today, I lead a Bible study with the other inmates, and instead of just being in jail, I feel like I have a purpose for being here. God is using me to pass on his peace and his hope and his joy, even in a dark place. I just feel like I'm a different person. That's revival. And it was powered by Scripture. Scripture that helped him break with the culture and admit that he needed saving. Scripture that connected his heart to Jesus. And Scripture that helped him see God's revival in his midst, even though it looked different than maybe he would have written that script. After all, he's still in prison, right? Now, none of us are in jail, but we're in prisons of other kinds. Prisons of fear or worry or got to succeed or workaholism or whatever it is. But when we begin to live according to the Bible, not according to our culture, we begin to be revived. And not just us. Even if there's nothing in your life that you think needs revived right now, we can see it, participate with it as it happens to other people. Right? As, as, as we live biblically, then our sons and our daughters who feel unworthy unless they look a certain way or have a certain GPA, they discover through Scripture they are unrepeatable miracles of, of God and take their identity in that. When we live biblically, we push back on our culture's divorce rate as husbands and wives love each other the way Christ loves the church and marriages get revived. When we live biblically, sex becomes more exciting because it's about uniting souls for a lifetime in marriage rather than just bodies for a season. 
When we live biblically and not according to our culture, the kingdom of this world begins to seem a little bit more like the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, so that as the prophet Jeremiah says, we become blessed, we whose confidence is in the Lord and not in our culture. We will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green, and it never fails to bear fruit. In other words, when we sink our roots deep into Scripture, we're revived. So Jesus, help us to do that. Help us to read even just a little bit each day. And when we do that, Lord, speak through us and speak to us and help them to be personal words. Lord, we pray that you would come alive as we do that and that you would use Scripture as the pipeline through which your reviving power flows. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.